and the church have stayed silent on the issue of racial injustice for far too long. But I do feel like that has changed and is continuing to change. And the church have responsibility to shine a light on this stuff, to lead the way on this stuff. First, here is a message from the sponsor of today's episode, Mindset Shift. Have you ever told yourself, I don't think I can do this? They'll never go for it. I'm not a good enough leader. The things you tell yourself that hold you back. Imagine if you could remove all those boundaries just by holding them up and actually looking at them, figuring out where they come from and how to tackle them. A Mindset Shift, that's what we do. We help innovative and ambitious leaders that want to make extraordinary things happen for themselves, for their teams, for their business and for their culture. We help unlock that growth. Through actionable coaching, leadership development programs, workshops or speaking, we create foundational people over profit environments, the kind where productivity and innovation soar and culture, inclusion, equity sit at the heart of operations. If you're ready to step out of the box and take your organization to the next level, contact us today, www.mindsetshift.co.uk. Enjoy today's episode. On today's episode, we are celebrating episode 50 come on as you can tell i'm absolutely excited i can't believe it's been a year since i started publishing episodes and it's been an absolute journey i want to take this time just to say thank you thank you to everyone who has listened who has supported who has commented who has reviewed and i also want to say thank you to all the guests who have come on a lot of them i did not even know i just reached out to and they said yes it's a great example if you don't ask you don't get and some of those people have gone on to become really really great friends and i appreciate you and to celebrate today i thought let me do something different let me invite a person who has taught me about leadership Someone who has known me for almost half my life. I think, yeah, I think we're just there. Bang on half my life. Someone who has encouraged me, has prayed for me, who has taught me so much, especially about communication and active listening. She is a pastor. She is a speaker. She is a counselor. She is part of the National Women's Ministry Team at Elam. She's a mother. And I'm also blessed to call her my wife. So on today's episode, we're talking to Mrs. Shireen Agbalusi. Shireen started off doing criminology and sociology at university. And that's where our conversation starts on today's episode. So how do you go from dealing with crime and people and going to church, which I guess for some people is like, yeah, it's one and the same. But how do you navigate that long um, trajectory? To be honest with you, like sometimes it's still a bit of a surprise to me. I always had in my heart that I wanted to work with families and I wanted to work with young people and at the time young offenders, which is why I chose the degree that I did. 
And if you had said to me, even five years ago, that I would be a pastor of a church, I would say that you've lost it. You've been drinking something or smoking something because that was not at all in my thinking. But when you connect the dots backwards, like it completely makes sense how God led me from working with families and then going into school settings and working with families and then doing my counselling training, which in my mind, that's where I was headed. I was headed to do counselling full time, maybe set up my own practice and then in the future, perhaps even go into teaching counselling and delivering training myself. And then he gave me all those skills and that experience, which helps me today as a leader of a local church. But at the time, I wouldn't have seen this coming, but it all makes sense connecting the dots backwards. And in that various shift from university to doing what you do right now, you also just had extra responsibilities of being married at a young age, you're 21, having two young kids. So not only are you doing something which takes a lot out of you, but you're also building a, building a new, new career. And how have you found it navigating your career, being a wife, being a mother, and trying to make time for yourself in that mix? I would certainly say I'm much better at balancing all of those parts of me better now, but that's been a learning process. It's been a journey. So there were certainly times along the way where I felt like I wasn't doing anything particularly well. I felt stressed at work and I didn't feel like I was my best at work. I felt that my home life was was suffering, you know, the house isn't as clean as I wanted it to be. I'm not cooking the kind of meals that I want to cook. I wasn't spending enough time with my children, that sort of thing. I definitely had times where I felt like I wasn't doing anything very well. But over the years, my capacity has increased and I had to be really intentional about that intentional about growing my capacity and building resilience to help me to be able to manage those things and navigate those things better. But I also had to learn to cut myself some slack as well. Like you're not always going to do everything really well. So I had to learn to not beat myself up and just realize that sometimes I'm doing good enough. I'm doing well enough. And, uh, you know, I'm a competitive person, so I always like to be the best. <laughs> so that was difficult for me, but I had to learn to cut myself some slack. And now I'm further along in that journey. I'm quite happy to take some time out and do me time and, you know, go and get my nails done or, you know, go out with, with a friend and stuff like that, because I feel like I owe it to my family to be the best that I can be. I owe it to you as my husband. I owe it to my children and I owe it to the church community that I serve. So actually I need to do things that fill me up because I'm constantly pouring out into other people. So now I find it easier to take some time out to do things that fill me up because it's for my good and for the good of, of those around me as well. Something that you're just touching on there in that need to 
I guess I'm going to call it action and reflection, where we're so it's so easy for us to be on the go and do so many different things. But you just alluded to the fact that actually it's also important for you just to, to take a step back to reflect, to have that time that allows you still to be the best and operate in those areas a lot better. What was the catalyst for you, that journey for you to, to be able to realize that? I think having good people around me helped with that. So I'm an external processor and talking things out helps me. So there have been many times where I, you know, I've woken up early hours in the morning and I'm thinking things through and then you like stir at 7am or something. And I'm like, Shobi, and I'm firing all this stuff at you and you're still half asleep because I've been processing this stuff for, for, for quite a while, but I like to process externally. So definitely having good people around me help me to process some of what's going on. People that I can be open and honest and real and vulnerable with. And people that I know will like call me out or say, you know, you don't see yourself right now or what's going on with you. That helped me definitely to reflect and sometimes take a step back and reevaluate and then go again. Have that safety to be able to do that. You are alluding to psychological safety, and that's something that we've we have in in our relationship, in our marriage, and something we've tried to create for the kids. But there's another side to creating that, which is the difficult road to having that psychological safety environment. I guess I want to hear from your perspective. What was that like, especially for us when we were when we we're young, we're coming up creating that in our relationship. What was it like creating that psychological safety and how hard did you find it? Part of psychological safety is about trust, being able to trust the people that you're around. And for me, like loyalty is a really big thing. So if I feel that somebody has got my back and I can trust them, I feel safe. I feel safe to open up. I feel safe to be vulnerable and that sort of thing. And that was something you created in our relationship very early on, that ability to be able to hold some difficult stuff. So you asked me questions that no one else would ask me. Um, some of them are a bit rude and intrusive, I must say. Um, they were not rude and intrusive. <laughs> they were necessary questions that you did not like. So I, I asked you what you... Not what you wanted, but what you needed. That's how I see it. That's, that's, I mean, that's my one spin of the, on it. <laughs> that is your spin on it. I'm glad you put it like that. One of the first questions you asked me was, do I have any children? And like, we'd only met twice. And I was like, first of all, none of your business. Second of all, no, I do not. See, this is why context is important. reason I asked <laughs> you that was I was in your car yeah. and you had teddy bears. So Reggae I was... Regis had... They were teddy bears. I was just curious as to why do you have teddy bears in your car? That's where the question came from. It was a very rational question in my mind. Fair, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> fair enough. But it was those kind of questions. It was questions that showed you really wanted to know me and understand me at a deeper level than just what I was presenting to the world that showed me actually that I can build some trust here. There's some safety here. And that's something that we've built on throughout, like that ability to communicate on a really superficial, silly, ridiculous level, but also on a really deep, 
intimate, sometimes difficult level as well. And that creates the safety when people are able to be trusted and they create an environment where actually I can tell you some difficult stuff and you can hold that and A, not use it against me, B, not go and tell the first person that you get the opportunity to and C, it doesn't change how you view me as a person. I think it also speaks into even that communication piece. That's not always it's not always easy. There are times people yeah. are gonna say certain things that <laughs> you really don't want to hear. You don't really don't have the call the mental capacity to take on board at that point in time. But it's also necessary for your growth and for your development. And I think one of the things in our in our marriage was don't let the sun go down in your anger. And that was literal sometimes. <laughs> but it was also part of what's helped us build in our relationship. And it also flows into the way that we treat people at work. I mean, you've led before you went to church, when you were leading in schools and dealing with so many different people. How was all those lessons you learned from home? How did that help you to be able to take that into work and operate very in those different environments? In a couple of ways, I think one of the ways in which having such a good home environment helps is that I can completely be myself, like the good, the bad and the ugly at home and know that those people love me and support me, can hear the thunder, love me and support me. So it means that when I then go out into work and sometimes some quite challenging days, I know I'm going back to a good environment. So even the time that I'm spending at work may not be a good environment or might be a challenging day. I knew I was going back to a place of safety and love and all of that. So that definitely helped. And I think, you know, as a parent, you learn so many lessons about leading, firstly about how you lead yourself, because I always want to be a person that um, leads by example, particularly to my kids. Like if my kids can look at me and say, I want to be like my mum, they can look at our marriage and say, I want a marriage like my mum and dad have got. Like for me, that's success. Like I've done a good job because I've led by example. I've led in a way where I've held up a mirror almost to them and they can see themselves in that position. So being a parent really helps you as a leader and develops those those leadership skills where you've got someone that you want them to be the best that they can be and they're looking to you to figure out how to do that. But you also can see stuff in them that you need to call out and show them actually you've got those skills, you've got those abilities. So, you know, watch me do it and then let's do it together and then I want to step back and watch you do it and watch you fly and I think those kind of lessons that we implement at home with our children have definitely helped me as a leader in other environments. How have you dealt with negative or bad leaders in your past? Ooh, I certainly have had my fair share or, you know, been in positions where I have been led by people who are not very good leaders or I wouldn't consider to be very good leaders. And it's hard because I am a leader. So even if I'm being led by someone else, if they're not doing a good job, 
I think what has happened is they can almost start to get threatened by someone else in the team that shows good leadership ability, right? So then it becomes a personal thing, which is really difficult. And I think the way that I've been able to navigate that is just to be me. Like, I'm not going to compromise who I am. I'm going to be the best that I can be in every situation and just be myself. I try to always talk to people with respect, but actually, if you need calling out, I'm going to I'm going to take you aside, even though you are a leader and say, look, the way you approach that is not okay. Or the way that you're speaking to me is is not okay. And try and approach it head on. But then it goes back to having those good people that you can step away from that situation and be that, you know, have those people that you're sounding board and process it with you. And, you know, many times I've come home to like, am I overreacting? Like, this is what happened today. Am I, am I reading too much into this? Am I overreacting? And that sort of thing. And I'm not going to lie. Like there are times when I came home and I had, you know, those kind of days where I just went to cry. And I did like would come home and break down because I was in working environments that were toxic, that were really uncomfortable to be in. But I didn't have a choice. I had to go back every day because I needed to go to work. So that's why it's really important to have good people around you, but to know who you are. And I'm going to contrast that with what do you look for in a good and strong leader? And do you have good examples around you of great leadership and how that's helped you to grow as a person as well in your leadership role? Yeah. For me, a good leader is somebody that is able to communicate well like communication is the key to any relationship so effective communication even if they're having to communicate some really difficult stuff you know sometimes as a leader you might have to communicate that your someone on your team isn't performing well or you know are not meeting the standards but the way in which you communicate that can help or hinder them so communication is really important but also i think a leader that has the ability to be vulnerable and honest with their team, you know, saying when things are not going well or even saying when they don't have the answer, like it's okay not to know everything all of the time. And it's okay as a leader to fall back a little bit. Like if there are people in your team that have got particular skills and abilities that aren't yours, then that's an opportunity to allow them to step up and to lead in certain areas. So some of the teams that that I lead, you know, I'm not the most creative person. So if there's someone on my team that's got a creative gift, I'm going to use that strength and call it out. And I'm going to step back when it comes to creativity and I'm going to allow them to thrive because that's their area of expertise so a good leader is able to do that to step back and I always feel like a good leader wants their team to be the best that they can be it's not about making me look good as a leader it's about everybody on the team looking good and shining and some of the best leaders that I have have been people who have looked at me seen something in me and called it out, you know, they've called out that leadership ability in me. They've called out, you know, my ability to articulate and to communicate and to speak well. They've called out so many things in me. Perhaps I couldn't even see it myself at the time, but someone else 
seeing that in you and investing time in you really does something to you on the inside. So I would definitely say, you know, that makes a good leader as well. Someone who wants their team to be the best that they can be. And one of the things around leadership is dealing with change. One of the biggest changes that happened for a lot of us last year was obviously the pandemic. And that particularly affected the church because a church staple Sunday, you go to church, sing, you pray, you dance. That's what we grew up <laughs> knowing. But yeah. then that all went virtual. So how did you as a pastor and the rest of the team deal with that change and what feelings did that bring up for you of having to navigate that period? Yeah, it was it was difficult. It was difficult for everybody, but you're right. When you're used to doing something a particular way and then suddenly it all stops. Like we had to cancel everything. We cancelled Sundays, we cancelled kids ministry, youth ministry, prayer meetings in the week, like you name it, everything that goes on in church life, we had to cancel and close the building. But we had to be determined that church wasn't going to stop. It had to look different. Yes, the church wasn't closed. The building was closed. So thankfully, we were in a position where we were able to navigate and transition onto like a virtual platform fairly easily because we had the equipment in place. We were already doing a bit of that on a Sunday anyway. So it was just about playing into those strengths already but I think one of the most difficult things was that as a as somebody who stands up and speaks in front of a whole bunch of people you're then just speaking to a camera like navigating that transition you know the kind of church we go to you're used to hearing the mm-hmm and amen and all that sort of stuff in the right places and that was gone literally you're stood in front of a camera, preaching into a camera or speaking into a camera. And those were the times when you really had to remember that this was about an audience of one. Like, is God pleased with what I'm doing in this moment? Am I bringing him glory and am I bringing him honor? And if the answer is yes, then that will translate on camera and he will do the rest. But Although moving online came with its benefits, it also meant that we had to work really hard to try and keep people connected, connected to each other and connected to us as a church, which was incredibly difficult to do at a time where we were scattered and we were isolated. And I guess we had to just be significantly more intentional about that stuff, intentional about relationships and texting people and emailing people and calling people and checking on them and all that sort of stuff. That's where the church community really became even more important than it usually is because we lost that natural connection that you would get on a Sunday or, you know, the midweek meetings and that sort of stuff. And I think the the churches that were slower to pivot, if you like, or didn't want to, I I definitely think they would have felt the impact of that. Because we moved so quickly, literally the next Sunday we were online launching virtual church. I think that really helped us. You mentioned some of the churches that were slowly 
slower to to move, and we moved really quickly within within a week. But even just because you've moved doesn't mean that you're still not dealing with the loss of what's happened and what's changed. You still have a community, a massive community of of people who are also dealing with that uncertainty at that point in time. And a lot of times, just that happened in church, happened last year, the up into this year. But we see that happening time and time again in, in relationships, in work, in business. And as just curious to hear your take on how do you deal with uncertainty? How do you, as a leader, individual leader, deal with uncertainty? Then how do you, as someone leading a, a massive congregation of people with other members of the team, deal with uncertainty to be able to give people that, I guess, that confidence that they sometimes need in, in times like that? Yeah. I think for me personally, it goes back to my faith, you know, having the assurance of things that are hoped for and, you know, faith is also having, you know, the evidence of things that you haven't seen yet. So it's believing that, you know what, this will work out. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know that it will. And, even though things around me were changing so quickly and, you know, it was a surprise to us all at the speed of which the country locked down and all that sort of thing. I never stopped believing that God was in control. And that gave me the assurance that everything was going to work out one way or another. So then you have to communicate that as a leader, it goes back to that open, vulnerable communication. Like, we don't know how long we're going to have to do this, but we are here for you. This is what we're doing. This is what we can communicate. These are the steps that we are taking. And we're going to keep evaluating it. We want you to come along on this journey. You matter to us. Stay connected to us. Here are other ways in which you connect. It's really important to communicate effectively in those times. Keep assuring our people that our faith first and foremost foremost is that God is in control and secondly that we are still here like the building is closed but who we are as a body as a church family has not changed and that's why communication is really important because if you just stop communicating then that creates more uncertainty because people don't know where they stand or don't know what's going on and communicating regularly was really important because things were changing all the time. And we had to be prepared to change what we were doing and not just hold on to stuff like, because this is how we've always done it. We, this is how we always need to do it. No, we had to think about what are the things that need to change? What are the things we need to stop doing? What are the things we need to start doing? And some stuff we had to let go of. Because if you hold on too tightly to things, when it's time for a change and a transition, then that's where you get stuck because you're holding on to things of the past and it can hinder you from stepping into the future and, and what you're being called into, into the next chapter. You might just take a little snippet of that and send it to some potential clients who are, like, who are dealing with <laughs> issues around letting go of the past and focusing on the, on the present and the future. Can I just add to that? Like, You have to... To be able to grab hold of something new, you need free hands, right? Your hands need to be empty. And if you're constantly holding on to things of the past, how are you able to then 
grab hold of the new stuff, grab hold of the things of the future or have your hands open to the blessings that are to pour out into them if you're holding on to stuff from the, the past. So sometimes you do need to let go of things, even things that seem good, you need to let go of them to be able to have free hands for things that are great. You mentioned faith. This is not a surprise. It's the foundation of what you do, foundation of our family, of how we operate. But there are times when, as much as you have faith, you're put in situations that is not easy to handle. And one good example that I talk about a lot when I do my talks is when I decided to leave a high-paying job and go into the world of entrepreneurship. And before I came on today, one of my friends been asked that same question. And I was given from, obviously, my perspective of going through that journey and us going through that journey together. But what have been those, how have you felt in those kind of situations where you have stability, it looks like, a great job, a great money coming in, and yet you're going into complete uncertainty? Yeah, <laughs> you have definitely like stretched and strengthened my faith over the years, Mr. Agbalusi, with some of your leaps of faith. Like I have been like so inspired by your faith, like your faith has spurred me on and has increased my faith. And I know that's been the case for other people looking in and who have followed your story as well. And I think it goes back to always believing that God will come through, like it will all be okay and it will all work out in the end. And even though, you know, you've taken leaps of faith, we've taken leaps of faith as a family, it's not blind faith. Like we don't just randomly wake up one day and decide to, to do something crazy. You know, you didn't wake up one morning and decide to, to leave your high paying job. It's a process of talking to God about it and praying about it and not always having the answers before you move, but having that sense of peace that you are doing the right thing. And we always talk about it again, going back to communication, like we talk things through and we go forward with a sense of peace about any decision that we make, even when we don't have all the answers. But sometimes the next, part of your journey is a bit like a electronic door, you know, automatic door. Like it doesn't open until you step towards it. Otherwise it just stays closed. So we have learned sometimes we need to step first. We need to um, take that action and then we start to see things unfold. But because our actions are rooted in our faith in God, that he is not going to change, that he has always got us then even when things seem difficult, we hold on to that. Doesn't mean I've never been worried. It doesn't mean I've never been nervous. But when those times come, I go back and I'm like, Lord, we need you to show up. I don't know what you're doing here, but I trust you. It doesn't seem like things are working out the way we thought it, it was going to do, but I trust you. And I have those open, vulnerable conversations with God. And then we keep moving. In those moments and those times, for you and for your journey and everything that you've gone through, do you ever, do you still have imposter syndrome that come up? Because obviously, of your work in church, you're stood up in front of 
um, hundreds of people, sometimes thousands of people. And like you said before, five years ago, someone told you you'd be doing this, you're like, no way, this is not me, this is not my journey. So does that come up for you at all? I mean, and how do you step into who you fully are when those doubts and those imposter syndrome moments might come up for you? Yeah, I've definitely struggled with imposter syndrome along the way. You know, I'm the first black female pastor at this church. So I'm associate pastor. I lead alongside another pastor who's a senior pastor, Duncan. I'm the first black female in that position in Elim world. So Elim is the Pentecostal movement that we're a part of. It's what, you know, one of 550-ish churches across the UK. And, you know, most Elim churches are led by white men. So when I go into um, things, even in church world, I'm a minority in the sense of there's less women in the room and there's certainly less black people in the room. So there have been times, yes, when I have struggled with imposter syndrome, but I think what that's about is like spending time thinking about what other people might be thinking about me. Like, what might they be thinking or what might they be saying? And that puts, you know, that doubt in myself. And I've tried to remember, actually, God has put me here. Like, no one has put me here. God has put me here. I'm called. I have a purpose. He has gifted me with skills and talents and abilities. And I'm walking in the purpose that God has called me to, to walk in. And whatever doors he opens for me, he will open. Like none of the opportunities that I've had, I've asked for. I've been really blessed to, you know, host some really large national conferences, speak at some great events, be on a national women's team. Again, the first black female to be on a national women's team for Elim. And my seat at those tables or my presence in those arenas haven't been things that I've asked for. It's that people have seen something in me and they have invited me to be there. So I used to have times where I would say, like, why me? Why are they asking me? You know, this person knows so many other pastors or knows so many other women with more experience. Why are they asking me? You know, and I'm not going to lie. Sometimes that thought comes in. Is, am I ticking that diversity box? Like, is it good because I'm, I'm a black female and I tick that box? But I've actually stopped asking that question now. Why me? And now I'm like, why not me? Like, if not me, then who? And if not now, then when? You know, again, it goes back to knowing who you are and what you have been called to do. And there will be times when it won't be me and it will be someone else. And that's fine. But for as long as it is me, I am going to step up. Because the problem is sometimes we want to see people that look like us in certain spaces. We want people who look like us. We want to see black women and black men, you know, doing certain things. So if I want to see people who look like me in certain spaces, I need to be prepared to step into them. I can't wait for someone else to step into it. If I'm being given, the, if I'm given the opportunity to step into those spaces, 
I'm going to take that opportunity. And when I'm there, I'm going to hold up a mirror so that other people can see themselves. They look at me and they can see themselves and it gives them the ambition to step into those spaces too. And while I'm there, I'm going to try and push either side of me and create some more space for people who look like me. And there may come a time where I have to step out of those spaces to allow someone else to step in to that space instead of me. But if I don't step into those spaces in the first place, then I can't do any of those things. So imposter syndrome only holds me back. And I realized that it's probably only me that's thinking the things that I think other people are thinking and they are probably not even thinking it anyway. So what's the point? It's a waste of my energy. I'm better off channeling that energy into being the best that I can be while I have that opportunity in that space. But it doesn't mean there haven't been those times when I've called you up and I'm like, babe, I'm freaking out. Like, I can't get it together. I feel so emotional. And I need that pep talk to bring me back down. And you remind me who I am. And then I I go again. Jeez. Came for a podcast. I got seven. Come on, come on. Dropping bars on bars. Let's go, baby. Come on. <laughs> See? Let me go back to my professional self. You know, I was trying to contain myself as you were talking. I was like, come on, baby. Tell him. Nah, but everything that you said, like, like you know, that's completely resonate with because why not you? Like, that's the way of looking and approaching things. Like, I am here and I'm going to utilize this opportunity not just for myself, but for others to make a difference, yeah. to move things, to change things. Because if someone doesn't do it, nothing is ever going to change. Exactly. And it's about having that, that approach. I know one of the things that is really, really close to your heart is, is changing the narrative, especially around inclusion, around equity, around race. Because of experiences you've had as a black woman growing up in the UK. And just because you work in the church, the church is not insulated from this. The church is a massive area where a lot of people over the years have been hurt by yeah. by racism, have felt excluded because of, of the color of the skin. But you're working to, to try and change that. And I want you to talk about that for a minute and just to highlight the, that we do have problems and, and that's, that's known, but also people are intentionally looking at it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like the church have a huge responsibility and the church have stayed silent on the issue of racial injustice for far too long. But I do feel like that has changed and is continuing to change. And the church have responsibility to shine a light on this stuff, to lead the way on this stuff and actually to, you know, do some heart searching like, do some evaluation. What is going on in our own back garden? Because it's, sometimes it's okay and easy to say, like, we can see that things are happening over there somewhere, but what's going on on the inside? And you're absolutely right. There have been people that have been hurt in church environments, have experienced racism in church environments, have been held back from leadership positions in church environments. The church is not exempt from it, which is why I'm really pleased about Elim's response to the issues of racial injustice. 
So I have the privilege of being a part of what we've called Elim Racial Justice Task Force. And one of the things that we are doing is looking at like what does diversity look like in our church leadership, in the leadership structures of the, the local church, but also nationally. And actually it has been recognized that Elim has improvements to make and there is a way to go. But it's not just about saying you know, things could be better. It's about putting things into action. And I'm really pleased to be a part of this task force where we can actually start to move things along and make some significant change for the generations that are coming up. Again, it goes back to being able to see people that look like you and know that there's there's a space for you to be in church leadership. You know, I grew up in churches where I did see black women as church leaders, but more more often than not, they were the pastor's wife. So even that, I'm working to change that narrative. You know, if you're a, a single female, you can lead a church. If you're like I am a, a married woman, but my husband isn't the pastor, you can still be in church. <laughs> you can still be in church leadership. And it's about changing that narrative and um, the church on the whole have a long way to go but I really do feel like they have started to step up and really take responsibility for the part that they need to play in making real lasting significant change in this area. I think my kids are definitely a big source of like my energy and spurring me on because like I said earlier I want my children to look at me and to look at us and to want to at least be like us, you know, better than us. But at least, you know, if they can look at us and say, I want to be like mom, I want to be like dad, I want to have what they have, I want to achieve what they've been able to achieve. And for me, that's a job well done. So I always want to be the best that I can be for them. And I want to create a better world for them as well. So the things that I do, if I can impact my little corner of the world, it will impact my children and my children's children. And I think, you know, obviously you spur me on, you are my biggest cheerleader and supporter. And even when I don't think I can, you remind me that I can and that I've, I've got it in me and, you know, speak life and faith and hope and positivity over me and call me out when I need to, you know, just dig in and keep going. I can count on you to do that. So my family really spur me on. And my faith, like I feel like, you know, I'm only on this earth for a limited time. I don't know how long that is, you know, and I think people at our age don't want to think about there being an end, but there is, like we're only here for a limited time. And while I'm here, I have a purpose and I have things that, that God wants me to do. And that spurs me on. I want to be the best that I can be. I want to be a great leader. I want to be a great friend, sister, wife, all of those things. Everything that I do, as I said, I'm competitive. So everything that I do, I want to do to the best of my ability. So I spur me on as well. Like I like got this mantra that I need to be able to clap for myself, 
you know, when even when nobody else is able to do that or recognize my successes, I need to be able to recognize my successes. So I need to be able to clap for myself. I need to be able to encourage myself. So even when I can't go to someone else to encourage me or to speak positive words over me, I need to be able to do that for myself. Basically, like, I spur me on as well like I need to be able to do that for myself because you can't always rely on other people to do it for you even though it's great to have other people that do that but it's important to be able to do that for yourself we could um give one piece of marriage advice what would it be Hmm. pick your battles that was like the best piece of marriage advice that I was given when we did our pre-marriage counselling. And I know you probably don't think I picked my battles. <laughs> I picked my battles. I ain't said a word. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just laughing. Like, <laughs> I picked my battles. And I would definitely say, like, you can't make a thing of everything. Sometimes you just got to pick up his socks for the hundredth time that week. Sometimes you just have to fold the tea towel in the right way, even though he refuses to. It's a tea you towel. know, <laughs> that kind of thing. You have to, you know, have an extra glass of water because you know when he cooks in, he's going to make the food more pepper than you do. All that sort of stuff. Like pick your battles. That's probably my best piece of marriage advice. You mentioned previously you lead with senior pastor Duncan Mm -hmm. and the relationship that you both have, I think is actually really special. And I just wanted to lean into that a little bit of learnings that you've both been able to learn from each other, male, female, black, white, completely different ages, backgrounds, all of that, but leading together, leading from a space of of openness and communication. What's that? been like because I think that's something that a lot of people can actually learn from when it comes to modeling leadership behavior together yeah you're so right like Duncan and I do have a really special relationship and that has taken time to build and cultivate and we're still we're still doing that and the way in which God created the earth right in the beginning was Adam and Eve he made a man and a woman to lead together to work together for the good of the environment and the community. So what we're doing as male and female working together, I feel is really blessed by God. We have good communication, that word again. I'm able to be honest with him and I feel he's able to be honest with me. He is an excellent leader, but he is so secure in himself that he is I'm really good at calling out other leaders. And, you know, he was one of the the people that called out church leadership in me and he saw some things in me that he was willing to call out. So when I go to him and I say, you know, I've got the opportunity to do this or this is going on or I want to develop this. He's excited for me. He doesn't, he's not threatened by it. He's not worried that I'm going to go and leave. At least I'm not, I hope he's not, I'm not going to leave and go to another church. He's excited for me because he wants to see me be the best that I can be. And then we do like the tough stuff as well. Like I've gone to him and we've had, you know, difficult situations in our family situations, particularly around stuff with school and our son and stuff like that. 
I was able to talk to Duncan about that stuff when I was feeling absolutely broken after the murder of George Floyd. We had a really open and honest and challenging conversation about that. And he was able to hear me and then go away and start doing some learning for himself. And he'll ask me questions and try to get a better understanding and all of that stuff. So I think it works so well because of all the things that I've mentioned, but because he know he knows he's a senior leader and so do I. So he leads, but he leads in partnership with me and he leads me. You know, he's able to do those things really well and we're able to do those things really well together. And it is a really, really special relationship. It's a relationship that I really value. I really value his knowledge and his expertise and I just want to learn as much as I can from him and he wants to learn from me he's not a black female he he recognizes there's a lot that I can teach him too and I love that that he's willing to learn from me and that I can learn from him and yeah it it makes for a great team speaking of teams I said it at the start when it comes to leadership when it comes to communication when it comes to living authentically a lot of those principles that i took into work that i teach now either through coaching or leadership development programs all came from the last 19 years of being with you a lot of real learning came from home came through the good times and the bad times and a lot of times people are like, how do, you like, how do you do what you do? How do you step out of your comfort zone? How do you take those leaps of faith? Not because I have my partner right next to me who's there with me, who's in the fight. And it's not always easy. <laughs> it is not always easy. But having that support system next to you and together, really, really being in there together is what makes a massive difference. And that's why I was like, I would not do this special episode without anyone else because... You are, say, you're my best friend, you're my partner, you're my wife, and my soulmate. And I just want to say, like, thank you. Really, really appreciate you. Appreciate your time. Appreciate all you do. You are an absolute wonderful mother, the best wife I could ever hope for, and a very special person. And that's why I was just like a blessing to bring you on. And here's some people just hear about some of your stories, some of the gems that you were dropping. thank you I appreciate that and I think it's really important for people to know that like we have been intentional about building what we've got it hasn't happened overnight it hasn't happened by accident it certainly happened by the grace of God but we have been really intentional about building on the foundation of friendship that we had right from the beginning like that's how we started we started off as friends and we were able to build on that foundation and we've had our ups and our downs and our our challenges and our high points but at the end of the day we've had to be really intentional about what we've built and it's been a pleasure like I wouldn't want to do it with anyone else I'll just paraphrase that we start as friends which is true but you're feeling the kid weren't you come on oh (laughs) (laughs) come on let's listen did you go there come on (laughs) (laughs) this guy (laughs) 
I want to throw it one. There's one ridiculous question oh, that a friend I of mine that a friend of mine asked me and you know what I'm, I'm going to ask so even though he doesn't actually listen to podcasts but I'll tell him I'll ask anyway and the question is why do females why do women in particular say we need to talk do they understand <laughs> how much fear those words can invoke <laughs> in someone else why do they say we need to talk it. So I'm just letting you know. But I think it's about preparing you. So don't come home like thinking you're gonna play on the PlayStation or go out with your boys. Like we need to like you need to set some time aside so we can have a conversation. We do it to prepare you for the conversation. You know, we're doing you a favor really. And at the end of the day, if you've got nothing to worry about or feel guilty about, those words shouldn't strike fear. You should be excited about the conversation. I never heard anyone be excited about we need to talk. Never in my life. But thank God I ain't got to worry about that anymore. Baby, thank you so much. And I'm sure you'll be back in, in the future when we celebrate 100. You know, I might just do this every 50 episodes. We'll have a completely different one just talking purely about marriages and, and faith. So, yeah, we're, yeah. we're definitely going to make that happen. And can I just brag on you for a second? Like, you are so good at what you do. And, you know, I talked about the, the questions that you asked that no one else would ask and the, the thought-provoking conversations that we have. Like, we have friends that, that talk about that. And as a person, you do that really well. Like, it's a God-given gift that I feel that you have. And I just love that you get to do that with other people and other people get to benefit from that. So you are a great leadership coach. You are a great leader. This guy's got a lot to, to teach you from his own experience, but he has this ability to just like get you to really think and unpick things. And I just love that. And I think anyone who has the opportunity should take advantage of your, your skills and your expertise and, you know, it's all good. You do a great job. So well done. I'm really proud of you. Well done for 50 episodes. Woo-hoo! I'm sure there'll easily be 50 more. So yeah, I'm proud of you. Well done. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to this very special episode of Everyday Leadership. There are so many great episodes to listen to among our previous 50. Find out more about the guests and topics we've featured so far at www.mindsetshift.com uk. Please do follow the show via your favorite app. It's the best way of making sure you never miss an episode when it's released. I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode of Everyday Leadership, which next week will feature Dr. Oli Folayan. See you then. <laughs>